The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Absolutely elated that you guys have decided to come together after about a three-year hiatus. And we're just wondering, what was sort of the impetus that made you guys want to come back together and do some shows? Uh, Brendan needed a new deck on his uh, garage or <laughs> something like that. special episode of Unsolved Mysteries. We talk about a very mysterious thing. It involves a supergroup called the Tours. Now, Hey, Robert, you're only able to hire one untalented voice actor. My producer is in my ear, and he's telling me I've actually only been able to hire one untalented voice actor. He's gonna have to do all the voices hey, for each of the raconteurs. Hey, Robert? Robert, Mr. Stock? We could do all of the voices but with one untalented guy. Okay, so without further ado, I am going to present a scene of the raconteurs featuring this one untalented voice professional who's going to have to do all four voices by himself. And James, if this isn't a prompt, I don't know what is. This scene is 2000... Mr. Stack, I have to use the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) This scene is 2006... Jack White and Brendan Branson are in the studio together. Hey there. <laughs> hey there, Brendan. What's what's a guy like you doing in a studio with a guy like me? Remember, he's going to have to do all the voices himself. I'm doing great, Jack. I'm Mr. Branson. I have the power. Important to remember, he's not very good. Well, that's right, Mr. Benson, as I like to call you from time to time. Mr. Benson, you do have the power. You have the power to make music with that wonderful guitar that you have there. What are they, uh, what are they wearing? I'm wearing 
sandals. Okay. <laughs> he was wearing sandals. Now I can now, see uh, that you're wearing sandals there, Mr. Benson. That's right, I just told you. Yeah, that's right. I know you just told me, and that's why I said it. I said that you're wearing sandals, Mr. Benson. Now, Mr. Benson, now, what's a man like you doing with sandals in a place like this? Now make them kiss. Let's not do what Mr. Robert Stack says. The time. 2008. It's 2008. They're... That's right. The tours are in the studio with Ashley Monroe about to record a country number, and Ashley and Jack Lawrence are talking. I can't believe we've been talking this whole time with Miss Ashley Monroe and Mr. Jack Lawrence in the same room. I'm Jack Lawrence, and I do declare that Miss Ashley Monroe, you, whom you are, are the best, most wonderful singer of songs in all the land. That's right, I do declare. Now, what's all this over here? Uh, do I hear Miss Ashley Monroe uh, sing-song talking to you, uh, Mr. Jack Lawrence? That is right. I'm sing-song talking to... I've forgotten who any of these voices are anymore. You know, you know, sometimes when I'm alone, I think of these prompts, and they never quite go the way I have them in mind. <laughs> Welcome to the fishes. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Third Men Podcast. We are a Jack White History Podcast, and I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. And I'm y'all co-host, James Kaminsky. That opening bit there was a little bit of a clue as to what we're talking about today, mm-hmm. although I suppose if you're listening to this, you're watching the title literally in front of you, and so you could probably just read what the episode's about. But James, you have no idea... What we are discussing here today, is that right? Well, I think it's obvious from my acting um, (laughs) that I do know, Paul, because clearly we are talking about the life and times of Uh Mr. Miss the (laughs) Sturgeon. We are talking about... Jack White doing... Do you want to know? Yeah, Paul, what, what, what are we talking about today? <laughs> I, I mean, I know. Trust me, I know. It's just for the listeners out there who might not be able to read the title. He he what? doesn't know. I don't. I know, I know. No, trust me, I know. <laughs> no, but he like, doesn't. For those people he out there know. that don't know, what are we talking right. about? Like, you might be able to explain it better. So this is a topic I've been wanting to do for a long time, and I was actually going to do these as a cluster, and then I realized there's so much information and speculation we could do that I'm going to make this into a new ongoing series, James. Ooh. This is The Lost Albums Chronicles featuring The Tours Volume 3. Ooh, I like that. The album that wasn't. But could it be? (laughs) Now, forewarning, this episode's going to be a -a chock-a-full of speculation Mm. and inference and a little unsolved mystery. Because, as we'll find out, there's 
stuff that happened that the public is just not privy to as to why a third album by the Tours never materialized. But James, this has titillated me for quite a while, mm-hmm. uh, along with the Lost White Stripes album and the Lost Jay-Z album. I was going to do just all of them at once, and then as I was writing the research, I was like, whoa, this is way too much, perhaps even for one episode. Mm-hmm. So this will be a lot of us kind of theorizing. Uh, yes. So you might say it's a chock full of butt maybe? I really should have enunciated the butt more because that's the pun. Mm -hmm. Chock full of butts, maybe? A lot of butt maybes in here. Mm -hmm. And uh, James, this is going to be a very exciting one. I'm looking forward to get into it. But before we get to all of that, James, is there something we should (laughs) start smelling, Paul? Oh! (laughs) Astounding fact. The most astounding fact. The most astounding fact is the knowledge. Thank you for the prompt. (laughs) James, would you like to tell the folks at home what I think I smell a fact is? I'd love to. It's when we get some information, extra little information, about uh, either a previous topic or something somebody... Uh, sent to us, and uh, we we put it here in this show. Instead of redoing a whole episode, you guys can learn a fact that we'd unlearned. This episode, James, we've got two really cool ones. The first is a Mr. Freeze pun, because you said cool. What killed the dinosaurs? The Ice Age! James, this, I think I smell a fact, dates all the way back to episode 36 of the podcast. If you don't remember, that episode came out June 7th, 2017, and the title of that episode was The Go. When we did this episode, we talked a lot. Uh, We uh, tried to be uh, as expert as we could uh, on this topic. But James, we heard from a very special person in association with this episode that there was some fact we might want to elaborate on. Do you know who that is, James? No. Pokey? Is it Mr. Lafarge? Uh, that would be Mr. Bobby Harlow. Oh, that's why. Yeah. Co-founder of The Go. We admire the man a great deal. Anyway, Bobby Harlow uh, reached out to the podcast. We were talking with Bobby a little bit, and uh, that was really cool. He did say that he, uh, he had taken a listen to that Go episode. He wanted to specify that The Go was, from his vantage point at least, Definitely the only rock band proper that Jack had joined at that time. I think we had said a few things about Two Star Tabernacle and such, but uh, that was, at the time, I suppose, the first rock band proper that Jack was a that kind of a contributing member to. Bobby goes on to say, you have to take into account what that means. He did play in the upholsters or dabbled in this and that, But he was an official member of the Go, which was a five-piece unified thing that felt like a rock band or a, quote, real rock band, as Jack put it at the time, multiple times. And uh, Bobby went on to say, as he recalled, that that was a big deal for Jack, and it was a big deal for all of them. So that is interesting to point out, because I did go back and listen to that episode, and we did talk a great deal about Two Star Tabernacle and stuff, and frankly... I don't really know a lot about Two Star Tabernacle, James. We're going to have to do an episode on that eventually. But uh, that was some interesting insight from Mr. Bobby Harlow. 
definitely. And uh, we're sorry <laughs> about anything we might have said. We love you a great deal. We have a lot of affinity for you. And yeah, marry me. <laughs> James was very embarrassed when I told him this. Um, and then the second one comes from a fellow we interviewed uh, in episode 72, Mr. Tom Potter, who we'd like to thank again for joining us on the podcast. Tom had reached out to tell me that he forgot to mention on the show that Tom Deja, singer for the Chinese Millionaires, also did the covers for their albums Deal Me In, Fuck All Y'all, and two Choke Chains LPs, and had a degree in MSU in graphic art. And then he had provided me a link to bossmangraphics.com, which is the art of Tom Deja. And James, Tom also is the chief artist for any graphics associated with the Judge John Hodgman podcast Are on you the Maximum s- Fun Network. Serious? Holy he shit. Did it. Yeah, he did the Canadian House of Pizza and Garbage t-shirt. Holy shit. Yeah, so that's really interesting. That's awesome. Yeah, Tom's done a bunch of stuff here. You should go to the website. Again, it's bossmangraphics.com, all one word. Yeah, he's done some cool stuff, some comic book-related stuff as well. He did stuff for Electric 6 also. He did the cover for Danger High Voltage. Oh, that's an awesome cover. I love that cover. By the way, that vinyl single of Danger High Voltage Mm -hmm. is so hard to find. I found a couple on eBay that were like... 30 or 40 bucks. I was in a danger high voltage mood this past week and I was trying to find that so I could have it on a 7 inch and no luck uh, finding it affordably. I believe you. Um, yeah, he did the single cover for it. Which is awesome and he's done like poster work for Co and the Knockouts, the Dirt Bombs, all kinds of stuff. Like this guy has done a lot of stuff. So that was really cool of Tom to point out. I appreciate that uh, and it's, it's really cool to start to see more of these kind of faces uh he did stuff for holly go lightly too my god so anyway thank you tom for pointing that out and thank you again for joining us on the show that was james a i think a record high download day for the third men podcast when that episode came out so really cool stuff from tom there yeah thanks again tom and i think we done smell those facts yeah i think we did all righty when i reflect on that fact James, you ready to get into this episode here? Paul, I couldn't be more speculative about how ready I'm getting <laughs> ready to get get into this here episode. Good luck editing that sentence. <laughs> so, the whole reason this episode exists is because there are a few albums out there that we know were talked about, maybe started to some mm. degree and just never wound up materializing. And a third Tours record, while it's not completely ruled out that it won't happen, a third Tours record around the 2013-2014 time frame mm-hmm. never materialized. And what I find interesting about that is all the circumstances leading up to it and hearing what maybe could have been, and then we'll also theorize a little bit about what tracks we thought might connect. Okay to whatever this release could have been. But let's start with what we know, shall we? I'd love to know what I know. In 2009, it was widely known that the Raconteurs were on a hiatus. They had released Broken Boy Soldiers in 2006, and then in 2007, the Racks went on a break, 
Jack went back into the studio with Meg to record a key thump, and they went back out on tour. Brendan, during this time, also went into the studio, and he was recording tracks for what would become his upcoming album, My Old Familiar Friend. Mm -hmm. That album wasn't released right away, and the Racks got back together in 2008, and they sort of rush-released their second record, Consolers of the Lonely, which... I know you love, James. Mm-hmm. I love a great deal. A progression of the sound, a little more of a Western feel, you know? Mm-hmm. But there was tracks in the mix that weren't released on either of these two records, and we know some studio work in some capacity was executed at some point between Jack and Brendan. After Consolers, we never got another Rack and Tours release. We got some shows and things, which we'll get to, but we never got another release and the raconteurs really sort of morphed into or evolved into, in a lot of ways, the Dead Weather, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, sort of, yeah. They're kind of a spin-off band. They feature three raconteurs and a kill, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and unless you count the raconteurs, yeah, we never really got anything else beyond that. But I don't know if you'll get into that or not. Yeah, we'll touch on that a little bit. So we also know things like there were songs written, pitched, and rejected or not pursued by the raconteurs. This is uh, via an interview with a website called Aquarium Drunkard with Brendan Benson. Brendan says, There were a few songs where I thought I'd keep it for myself. Maybe I thought it'd be fun for me to do, or for whatever reason. Maybe I thought I had a pretty good idea about where I wanted to go with the song, but I didn't write for either thing. And that's referring to his solo career or the raconteurs. He says, I just wrote, and I would give them, the raconteurs, any song. I never even considered which it was. If they got it, if they understood it, well, then it was a raconteur song. If they didn't, if no one got it, which happened a few times, remember, hmm. no big deal. I'd just do it myself. Most of the time, they got it. So we know that there was a couple pitched and a couple rejected. And <sighs> so we know that this process was taking place. And you and Jack really mesh well together. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, I think we do. I, I mean, uh, I think contrary to what people might, you know, would have thought or... I think predicted in the in the beginning you know we do we sound uh i think the and even even i'm surprised even you know like when i listen to the record i think you know wow we do it sounds good together you know our voices sound nice together and i think our but just the the chemistry is great you know yeah. like it's it's sometimes it's not always it's not always easy going and you know whatever nice nice and you know pleasant but it makes for good songs, I think. You know? That's the stuff we know. We know that. That is the history. That's what it was said. We'll get into some more stuff, but that's that's the stuff. Now, the most likely time for a recording of a new session would have probably been in the 2011 to 2013 time frame, and I will get into why now. So this is where Jack was at. So in 2009, a year after the Tours, we get Whorehound by the Dead Weather, like we said, featuring three Tours and Alison Mossart. Mm-hmm. We then get another dead weather record in 2010 that was the second release and from that point on jack goes kind of on a hiatus doubles down on third man records if you'd like to hear more about that time frame you can listen to our going solo episodes where we discuss it in detail following that jack released blunderbuss in 2012 to critical and commercial success and by 2013 was eyeing a follow-up also in 2013 jack was back in the studio with the dead weather in nashville 
In a tweet from August 29th, 2013, the band was tweeting that they were working on new songs in the studio. Now, what those songs were were the single versions of what would be collected eventually into the Dodge and Burn record. Yeah, probably Buzzkiller and uh, the other one, Cop and Go, I think. I didn't really, honestly, I didn't like them too much at the time, and I, I thought the production was a little iffy. I don't know how you felt about those releases. I agree. It was weird because it was, um, we were just gotten used to Jack's super polished solo stuff with Blunderbuss, and then yeah. going right back into the gritty Alice and Mossart world of danger and burlesque, I assume, yeah. that's involved. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's a weird step away from what we had just finished getting used to, you know, this country singer aspect that he was trying to don and then now it's going back to his grunge persona and it's right there's a little bit of a what's whiplash from that whiplash is a great way to describe it particularly in the production value like you said not only were these things dead weather songs through and through the recordings of them are really fuzzy Mm-hmm. and not as crisp even as their last two records like they sounded really garage bandy you know yeah, probably be- but not in a bad way <laughs> Assuming, and I don't take my word for this, people out there listening, or Paul, uh, I'm assuming they were recorded live, as a lot of Dead Weather songs were, Mm -hmm. or at least as live as they could. So that might have something to do with it, because obviously the Blunderbuss stuff was honed and recorded in studio separations, probably. I mean, it's interesting you say the country thing. Nashville's at the center of all this. Jack is using studio musicians from Nashville. Almost the entire Tours band is based out of nashville at this point and in fact several of the raconteurs wound up even playing on the blunderbuss album so there's still intermingling here there's no formal announcement of a breakup of the raconteurs for all we know the next racks album could be around the corner for all we know right now it could still be around the corner Mm -hmm. i hope it is i do too because I miss them very dearly. It's unclear what was exactly happening with Brendan at this time, but it's most likely that he was working on his forthcoming album. Uh, we're talking about the 2013 time frame. You Were Right, which is the LP he released the following December. And we'll get into a little more Brendan stuff here. So this dude was getting a little older. He's a little older than Jack, actually. And um, by the time of the Rack and Tours came around, he was starting to have kids. I mean, he reminds me a lot of... of my younger self <laughs> that uh, doesn't sound too sort of condescending I mean I and, and, well and I admire that so much about him the way he's maintained it you know whereas whereas I've I think kind of uh, gone astray Brandon released three solo records in the post Tours world My Old Familiar Friend which was recorded in between the Tours album but released in 2009 on Dave Matthews label ATO Oh, it's weird, right? I did not know that. Yeah. Again, Jack was working on Icky Thump at this time. 
And it does not sound like this was a great experience in the recording. This is via thepointofeverything.com, a quote from Brendan. It was a different experience, a different way of doing things. I worked with Gil Norton on that, and I have never worked with a producer of his caliber before. And yeah, I think it turned out all right. He had a way of working that was very methodical and tedious, I thought, and it was very slow. It's hard to explain. He goes on to say that Gil Norton was very much in control, and I don't think that that is always such a great thing. That is not quite a ringing endorsement one might expect from a musician promoting his latest album and forthcoming tour. Yeah. And this is, again, via that website, Aquarium Drunkard. Brendan says, I got what I asked for. He was tough. He cracked the whip. I remember talking to Dave Grohl, too. I was making the record in London and the Foo Fighters played, so I went to the show to say hi. At that point, I felt beat up by Gil. I was even a little down on the whole process. He had just done the Foo Fighters record, so it was great to talk about it with Dave. I said, oh, I'm working on the record with Gil, and he said, cool. We were being polite, and somebody said something, and all of a sudden it was like, holy shit, that guy. (laughs) Dave was in agreement. He said, he's hardcore, man. And he said, you might really hate him at times, but I guarantee you in the end, he'll get something great out of you. And he did. So sounds like Brendan had a real bad time. Yikes. Yeah, it just sounded like he had a hard teacher. All right. It's so great that you got back together and that uh, that you guys can do this and, you know, and also have solo careers outside the band. Yeah. 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 My record's coming out after this, you know, probably next year, early next year. So you have a record coming out next year. Yeah. It's been uh, a bit of a while. It has been, yeah. It's been too long, really, you know, as is the case a lot with me. Yeah. <laughs> I always find other things to do than my own stuff. But, uh, but no, this was, this was going to be great. It was, you know, produced by Gil Norton, which I'm really happy about. That was a great time. And, and uh, you know, and in fact, I'm just I'm going to L.A. In, in tomorrow to, uh, to kind of finish it up. Yeah, so... Because of the label that he was put out on, that's why he was on Letterman. Oh, possibly. Because he was singing a whole lot better off of that album on Letterman in 2009. Yeah. So I'm wondering if it, if Dave Matthews' label had anything to do with that. It's possible. Usually the labels are the ones that push it. I mean, Brendan was probably at the height of his recognizability, notoriety, whatever, you know, at that point. Yeah. You know, he struggled for a lot of years. And then the Tours hit and suddenly he's kind of a star like he we know him you know yeah but when that album came out it peaked at like 110 or something didn't do great Mm. that was gonna be the one if anything was gonna work like the raconteurs were this big train and he hopped on this train and he jumped off and i'm mixing metaphors right now but he could have really either taken off or just fallen (laughs) flat 
anybody who's watched Back to the Future Part 3 knows that these trains can take off. Brendan, please come on our show. <laughs> Here's the thing. It explains lines from his next album, Here I Go Again, Another Losing Streak, I Guess I'm on a Roll, because he did not release another record until 2012, April 21st, 2012, to be more specific, with his newly founded ready-made records label, and that would be the album What Kind of World. It's a deep-seated knee-jerk reaction Without fail, the same course of action It's the truth, but it's always sugar-coated And the starting gun is never loaded Brendan decided to take on the kind of role that Jack was taking on. Mm-hmm. It's possible he saw what Jack was doing and thought, oh, maybe I could do that on a on some level. And he did. And it got a lot of momentum at the gate and what kind of world I think is the best Brendan album he ever put out, in my personal opinion. I do really like that album a lot. Uh, it's probably not my favorite. I think my favorite is still his probably his first one the one that had cold hands warm heart oh yeah there's Uh, that one in like la palco that's the other one people love the alternative to love i think it's actually off of yeah i like the alternative to love and la palco those are probably my two favorite albums of his and he had a lot of success from those two albums they get radio play still to this day i still hear them in like supermarkets and shit you know it's accessible music yeah i would say it's his best work post rack and tours or at least the work i like most that's fair. I mean, we saw both those tours. We saw My Old Familiar Friend tour, and we saw What Kind of World. I mean, One Mississippi is also really good. His, his discography, very good. It is, it is. I've been listening to a lot of Brendan in preparation for this show, and I do really like it. But I think, just for me personally, on a listen-to-it kind of, you know, on, yeah. on that kind of level, beginning to end, What Kind of World is really strong to me. Honestly, if anyone was looking for a third Raconteurs album, What Kind of World is it? Like, when you listen to that album, it sounds like the friggin' Raconteurs. It's just, it's just more Brendan. peaking at number seven in the uk indie charts which is not bad that's a respectable outing mm-hmm. and it's uh it's a power pop experience really and it's much in the same vein as brendan's raconteur's work so we get that on ready made and then the following year we get another album and this one's called you were right mm-hmm. and we know that these tunes are a mix of some songs that were written on a song per month type constriction almost jack style 
It's also, though, a collection of old ideas that never saw the light of day Mm. and very possibly brought up during those rack sessions. In a January 2014 Epiphone interview, Brendan says, I was digging up old songs, old ideas that never saw the light of day. In fact, some of those songs are from the mid-90s when I was living in Oakland with my cassette recorder, and I just kind of stumbled upon these old ideas, and I thought, I want to see if I can bring these back, salvage them. So the whole song a month kind of thing went out the window. That was his original idea, and he started working on old ideas, trying to rekindle them which was a really weird thing to do, I found out along the way, trying to conjure up these old feelings that I was so far from now. It was an interesting study or experience. I'm not sure it was entirely successful, but at least the songs are out now. I like You Were Right. I think it's okay. I think What Kind of World is Stronger, but I like You Were Right. I listen to this album a lot because it's one of my car CDs that I constantly have in there. Not a fan of the packaging, which is why it's relegated to the car because it's uh, literally just a cardboard slipcase. That's the one reason it stays in there. But because of that, I've listened to this album, I don't know, 50 times. (laughs) So it's really fresh in my head. Um, I'm not crazy about the actual album artwork either. It's it's fine. The wolf's doing some weird things. I don't know what's going on with his neck. (laughs) But this and my old familiar friend are similar in that way. They're kind of sort of folksy looking yeah artworks whereas i think the what kind of world cover is just the kind of album cover i like a little bit more it's just sort of a straightforward shot and i also yeah i love that look his sort of longer hair and the scene yeah. and stuff but each of these albums are strong entries and it's very possible some of these ideas were pitched during the racks and that's how that band worked in fact we know two were pitched during the racks for sure we know mm-hmm. ready-made records was taking off that's brendan's label and it brought with it a move to nashville for brendan via billboard thankfully the label head role seems to suit him he's visibly glowing while talking about what he sees the imprint achieving and what it's already achieved his model is the early days of ian mckay's discord records playing the part of tastemaker as well as artist and signing bands like the bluegrassy howlin brothers whose sophomore ready-made release drops this april that he personally connects to rather than following the sales That said, he acknowledges that the business end of it wasn't something he saw coming and has become a large part of his responsibilities. He says, quote, I thought of starting a label as more for the fun of it, you know, but these people on the label are trying to make a go at it. It's their living. You kind of have to know what you're doing, he says. So his partner is the business side of things and he does the creative stuff. And you've got your your own label, your own imprint if I'm not mistaken. And uh, you're working with a, with a couple bands as well, right? I mean, what's, what's going on on the, uh, on the label front, Mr. President? Uh, well, we've seen, a, we've seen a rise in our stock. No, I, um, <laughs> just fun, man. Lots of fun is going on there. It's, it's, you know, it's the best job ever. I deal mostly with the, you know, the art of it. And then, um, and then there are people much smarter than I who deal with the, the actual the business and keeping, you know, the label part of it. So I can't complain. I just get to make records with my friends or music that I that I like, and then watch them sort of go off and flourish. You know, hopefully, and right. which is happening right now. So that's really cool. Like the Howling Brothers are they've got a buzz about them, and um, and Corey Chisel and you know, the Lost Brothers from Ireland. Cool. It's it's all good stuff. He's taking it in. He's enjoying the label head thing and that's a big deal you know we're i'm working on the 1968 episodes of the yesterday and today podcast right now and when the beatles start apple it's a full-time job for four people and they don't do it particularly well managing a label is 
big. That's a big thing. Yeah, and I'm not seeing much online after 2013 from ready-made records or 2014 that's their website seems to be a tumblr they had some cool sales i don't know if it was this past christmas or the one before where i got what kind of world and a signed copy of one mississippi or whatever well that was brendan's site wasn't it but i think it was from ready-made i don't know it's possible their website seems to be a tumblr and the last post they made was four years ago well let's look at the facts uh the fact is (laughs) After You Were Right, he didn't release anything else until Half a Boy, Half a Man in 2017 Mm -hmm. with Third Man. So something happened there. The thing is, I didn't do like a crazy amount of research into ReadyMade because I think Brendan will be his own episode at some point. Right. But this paints the picture of where he's at. So Jack is off in Third Man land, Dead Weather Town, Blunderbussville, USA. Brandon's off doing ready-made stuff, putting out a couple albums, struggling a little bit, but enjoying himself generally. That brings us to the other two raconteurs, Little Jack and Patrick Keeler. In 2010, the band released the album Four Stars with corresponding single Saying Goodbye, which was on Third Man with additional production and recording by Brendan Benson. So if you're looking for all four raconteurs on one project, it's this four-star album from The Greenhorns. Is a very good album. Do, I, do you like it? Have you I do, to actually. Yeah, I, I didn't. I think me and you both listened to the Greenhorns right after we got into the racks, thinking, yeah. like, hey, this will be more like Jack White and stuff that we wanted. And it was like Detroit stuff and stuff we would probably like now, but at the time we weren't prepared for. And I think it left an impression on me that I was like, oh, I'm not a Greenhorns fan. I'm a Greenhorns fan. Very much so, and I, I enjoy it a great deal now. So yeah, four star, very good. I feel the same way about the Greenhorns. I don't really actively listen to them too much, but I like this album, and actually doing the research for this episode, I got to know this album a little bit more and, and kind of like it. It's good, you know, and, and I like the Brendan production side of it and extra instrumentation he added. We also know that the Greenhorns entered the studio with Brendan for an EP with Eric Burden in 2012, so... Hmm. After that, you don't really get much more Greenhorns, but that's looking at the 2012-ish time frame that we're sort of looking at here. LJ was on hand for these years, playing on all sorts of Third Man releases, as well as a slew of other records, including Coco Hames and, of course, The Dead Weather. LJ is on Jack releases as recently as Battle Cry and the My Bubba single from the Blue Room series, both of which were from 2017. So while LJ wasn't on boarding house reach he was on the thing just prior to boarding house reach so lj's still very much in the jack world 
Okay. Similar stuff for Keeler. He played on a bunch of third man stuff from Wanda Jackson to Tom Jones, Pokey Lafarge, tons of it. He's also all over Jack Solo stuff on both Lazaretto and Blunderbuss and was a featured performer on Beyonce's Don't Hurt Yourself with Jack in 2016. So both of these guys still working with Jack until pretty recently. Patrick, however, uh, has a more regular gig with a band called the Afghan Wigs, which he started playing with in 2014. So there's a time frame between 2012 and 2014 where all he and LJ were doing basically was third man stuff. They're in Nashville. The timing seemed really, really right. Yeah. So what happened? All these guys are in the same area. They're friendly. They never have a falling out. People like them. What happened? So, I think it's fair to say that Jack and Brendan, who are the you know the leaders of the group, they're the songwriters. They kind of guide the sound in a lot of ways. Uh, they were both kind of in an identity crisis-y moment in time. Yeah. From the dead weather to Jack Solo, that's a leap. Some might look at a leap like that as a concession. And by that I mean... Jack White Solo seems like a safe bet. I mean, he was trying to make his label profitable, too. And I'm sure that he was looking for a way to, A, boost sales, B, fulfill record contracts with Warner. and Mm -hmm. Who were probably looking at albums like the Dead Weather stuff and going, hey, this isn't exactly what we signed up for. We signed up for Icky Thump, and you're giving a sea of cowards, and it's not resonating. Yeah, exactly. So I think he was looking for a winner, and I think a lot of people were requesting a Jack White solo album at him for quite some time, and he wanted to probably get back into the Stripes game, or at least Stripes-esque game where he's writing music and other people are playing it. Yeah. And giving him the cues and stuff. And on top of that, he's playing with a lot of new musicians who are giving him new directions. He's running Third Man Records, is giving him access to hip-hop it's giving him access to loads of country because of being in nashville it's giving him a lot of influence and the blue room single specifically they're all playing next to him or with him or Mm -hmm. uh, he's the one producing them yeah and so because of that i think he had a lot of ideas a lot of ideas that he knew only he could come up with probably or at least didn't trust to give to a band i guess I don't know, because I feel like he would have a hard time going like, look, here's a concept to a band that everybody might have a concept. He can't just direct this band. The Raconteurs isn't his band. It's a group. Which is why Jack White solo makes a lot of sense. In fact, it makes a little too much sense for a Jack White release. And I mean, I'm happy we have it. And I'm happy he did it, actually. I'm happy he made that move, that expected sort of move, but... It does make a lot of sense.
But, you know, the other thing I'm thinking of is, okay, so the Dead Weather weren't proven chart rulers. The racks are. So what happened? You know, like, it would kind of make sense that you would, if you, especially if you're trying to switch things up and move things around, why is he back in the studio with the Dead Weather? Why isn't he back there with Brendan? Side theory, I also blame RZA. Because, <laughs> well, I, I do like it actually seriously because I think timing wise, he called on artists that were there to play mm-hmm. a song that he had written. Had he maybe waited, that could have been a Rax song. And it could have just been that the timing was right. He had the song, the people were there, he wanted to get the studio time in, so he recorded the thing for the solo album. Therefore, he started a project by himself. He couldn't give that to the Rax. Anyway, that yeah. could have been a domino that started the whole thing. But. I mean, you raise a good point there, which is that the Tours were born out of happenstance, the same as every other group he's ever been in. It's mm-hmm. never planned, which again is why the solo thing sticks out like a sore thumb, because it seems very planned, even though it wasn't. Yeah. But the Racks only really do this stuff and get together and make albums when the mood strikes them at the time, which is what makes Dodge and Burn so curious, <laughs> you know? just seems... Anyway, there's a lot of weird <laughs> twists and turns his story takes, but... We'll get to a March 2014 interview from South by Southwest via Billboard with Brendan Benson. He says, Since I started the label, I have been going through this transition, and it's almost like an identity Congratulations. crisis. Congratulations. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's almost like an identity crisis, like leaving my solo career a bit. I'm still going to make records, he says, although he hasn't since, but not at the intensity at which I was doing it. I have been asking myself, what's my role in the world? Mm. I'm a dad, he answers. That's the best one. And I'm a producer. I really enjoy that. I'm good at it. And it's a lot more fulfilling. I fed my ego enough with my solo career, and now it's cooler to be more behind the scenes and helping other bands. And I like to be around these younger artists. It's inspiring. So that's his headspace in March of 2014, after really the time frame where my contention is that's when the album would have happened, probably in the 2013 mm. time frame. So... Let's talk a little bit about what the Tours actually did between Consolers of the Lonely and Today. In 2010, two years after Consolers of the Lonely came out, Brendan Benson and Patrick Keeler played a show in the Third Man Blue Room as the Tours with T-W-O. You mentioned that earlier mm-hmm. in the podcast. It was on April 17th, 2010, and this was to promote the new pressing of the Rack's debut album on copper-colored vinyl, uh. which I didn't, I didn't realize that was the reason, but there you go. All right, let's do it. By the way, that's Patrick Keeler. I'm Brendan Benson from the Rack and Tours. Some people don't know. Via 
third man on record store day Brendan Benson and Patrick Keeler, along with Mark Watros and Andrew Higley, performed a reworked set of Rack and Tour songs in celebration of the re-release of Broken Boy Soldiers on LP at Third Man Records. Mark Watros filled in for Dean Fertitta on the Rack's second tour in 2008, so he's kind of an uncredited Rack and Tour himself. And Andrew Higley worked with Brendan on My Old Familiar Friend and other stuff. So if we're calling Dean Fertitta a raconteur, I think we kind of have to call Mark a raconteur, mm. you know? And uh, Higley was in there with Brendan and, and co-wrote a bunch of stuff, so... We're all in uh, the raconteurs. You're in the <laughs> raconteur. You, you're a wall. I love it. So the vinyl release was produced by Jack, which makes it the only raconteurs thing that I could find that has all of them on it except LJ. Huh. So that's in 2010. So they seem pretty friendly at this point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. This is a year after my old familiar friend. It's a year after my old familiar friend didn't really take off, you know? Yeah. Ready made is maybe a glimmer in Brendan's eye. Jack is in dead weather, see a coward's mode. Mm. Putting on masks and shit. <laughs> yeah. By the way, sidebar. Uh, Susanna was not feeling well yesterday, and the only thing that would make her feel better is if we played cards on the bed, because she used to do that when she was feeling sick as a kid. Mm. So we played Rummy. I played Rummy for the first time, and we were using the Dead Weather deck, and she was like, what kind of fucked up witchcraft deck are you giving me right now? Because it was like Jack Lawrence with nine arms, and she's like, I'm sick. Why am I looking at this? Uh, that's good all the suits are the same color so there's no (laughs) yeah they're all black it's all great (laughs) yeah so anyway sidebar that's pretty Uh, so that's in 2010 so that's things seem fine yeah let's flash forward a year james did you realize that in 2011 because i didn't realize this the raconteurs basically toured Mm. like there's a whole tour they raconteured they raconteured james in 2011 there's a reunion tour. I don't know wh- how I... I knew they played gigs. Like, I knew they played a couple gigs. But it's, like, more than a couple. Like, it's a little mini tour. It's insane. I had no idea this thing existed. I feel like... Didn't we see them in 2011? Or am I thinking of... We saw them in 2008 on the Consolers oh, tour. Oh, boy. I am just lost in time. Yeah. So, in 2011, they reunited for a series of new shows... And it kicked off in the third band blue room on September 14th, 2011. This is like, I may as well be saying like fanfic right now. Like I had no real idea that this, this thing existed. I knew they played, but my God. So that record from the blue room was released on vault package 10 as a split vinyl. Now I don't have that one, but they also released a DVD in that vault, which I do have from 2011. So I've seen that show. The band then played Michigan Fest on September 17th, 2011. Turn it around, it might be easier to be And there's always another point 
playing the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville on September 15th, and that performance was the one that was released on DVD. They then play another music festival called Voodoo Music Experience on October 30th. Another one on November 12th at the inaugural Orlando Calling Festival. They're doing festivals. It's f***ing weird. That is weird. And then they play another one on November 13th at the Tabernacle in Atlanta, Georgia. That's it. And they play one, two, three, four, five, six shows. <laughs> they have this little mini tour, and then that's it. Yeah, and the set list is pretty minimal, actually. They're big sets, but they're doing their tried and true favorites. They're not going out of their way. We completely glossed over this in the going solo episodes because it just never dawned on me that it was this many gigs, you know? Yeah, that is. I mean, it's called a reunion tour. <laughs> yeah, it's called a reunion tour. So these shows open the floodgates for speculation about a new record. That's when people started to ask about a new album. It would certainly seem like something was being kicked around here for them to announce a festival gig and start playing live again. James, it would. why else would they do that except if they were thinking about a record? That's why I'm saying if it was going to happen, it's between this 2011 time frame and 2013. That's the window. It doesn't happen, but that's the window where it would have. Then there's another one in 2013. This is via Stereogum. Lately, Jack White has been busy, first on his solo album and then with the impending return of the dead weather, and it's been a few years since he played anything with the Tours, his band with Brendan Benson. But last night, Benson played a benefit for the David Lynch Foundation at Nashville's Ryman Auditorium, and White rolled through for a Tours quasi-reunion. Together they played Good To Me, a Benson solo song that the White Stripes once covered. Yeah. 
and followed it up with takes on the Tour songs Hands and Steady As She Goes. This is via Epiphone. In an interview with Brendan Benson, Brendan says, It started as an idea, hey, let's have a show and have it be more like a party vibe, invite some friends to come up and sing. I thought it would be something simple, but it turned into a much bigger production. And at first I thought, oh, what have I done? The logistics were gnarly. But now I'm super excited. I'm over the initial panic and we start to rehearse and the band sound great. And the guests are, for lack of a better word, sounding great. And then the interviewer says, well, if anything, you got Eric Burden and Ricky Skaggs on the same stage. And he said, I'm playing with Ricky Skaggs at the Ryman, and I have no business doing that. So, things are still good, but a Raconteur's album doesn't materialize between the reunion tour and this. It just doesn't happen. What does happen is Blunderbuss. So, could it have been that the Raconteurs were planning to put something out, and then RZA was late to that session, and then Blunderbuss got kicked into gear instead? Is that the thing that derailed it? Does Brendan see Jack's enormous success with his solo record and get discouraged and maybe try and double down on his own path and ready-made and all that stuff? But that's when we get You Were Right instead. That's why I'm saying, like, something happened here. Yeah, it's bizarre because he looks like solo Jack White yeah. at this point, playing with the racks. He also does that Colbert Report two-part thing where Colbert preps to be on the Black Bells. Oh, yeah, that, that thing, yeah. It's weird, like, I'm looking at all these things and I'm not seeing the raconteurs being recognizable in this era. To right. Me. Was it the divorce? Maybe? Maybe. Personal life stuff? Because they got divorced in June 2011. Maybe that did some shit and he started writing songs and wanted to do a solo record. Hard to say, but that would have, but from there you, you get to the racks. The racks tour was in the fall, yeah. so who knows? Maybe he was trying to get back to... Old familiar friends. That's very, very possible. I mean, any and everything is possible. Man. Who knows? So then, James, we get one more. This is why I'm. This is why I was so keen to do this episode because there's all these like crazy pieces. In 2015, we get a reunion show minus Patrick Keeler, and this is a cool one because you get the whole group except Keeler, including Fertitta, and uh, Jack's got the short Elvis cut. It's crazy. It was on January 28th in Nashville. It was a couple days before we saw him at the Garden. They play Salute Your Solution and Steady As She Goes. welcoming Loretta Lynn to the stage for a few tracks with her, which in and of itself was kind of a reunion because the raconteurs were basically birthed out of Van Leer Rose. Mm -hmm. Given all that, there's no wonder that there was rumblings of a new record. In 2012, on the publicity tour for the album What Kind of World, Brendan made a new record with the racks sound very likely. This is via Uproxx. Quote from Brendan, I've been producing a lot, nonstop. I'm learning more about what makes a song great. I'm giving those artists the advice that I should have been giving myself. As for the Rack and Tours, 
the projects based in existence by timing. It's all logistics. Jack Lawrence, Patrick Keeler, and White all live in Nashville and all are obviously very busy. Brendan says, we don't talk about it. It just happens when we're like, what's your schedule like this year? We're always writing for the fun of it. That happens naturally too when Jack and I are hanging out at the house. So this is 2012. This is after the reunion tour. Sounds like things are warm and cozy and it sounds like things could be happening. Brendan and Jack were in the studio together in 2012, James. Mm. As Brendan told Uproxx that he and Jack were finishing the mixes on the 2012 Vault singles at that time. So not only, James, did they reunite for a reunion tour, but Brendan Benson and Jack White were in the studio working on new Tours music in 2012. And we still didn't get a fucking album, but they were in there. Huh. Why? Yeah, so they're in the studio together. Did they record at that time? Did they kick around ideas? It would explain a number of things about how and why the rumor of a new record got started. And then this is via a Rolling Stone interview with Jack White in 2013, but early in the year, in February. The interviewer asks, I know in Mexico on New Year's Eve you spent some time with the Dead Weather. Have you been spending time with that band a lot lately? Jack says, we all live in Nashville now. All the tours and all the Dead Weather live in Nashville now. So we often go on trips together because we're all just good pals. We've recorded some things too. We've recorded some things too. Oh. And Brandon Benson and the Tours just built a new studio right in town. So there's a lot of great inspiration going on. We recorded some things too. We recorded some things, James. That... All right, so now there's a secret Rax album. There's a secret White Stripes album. And I don't know That's what crazy. to think anymore. So so quick interjection. This fast forwards now to January 14 in that Epiphone interview with Benson about the studio. I think to say I've opened my own place is misleading. It's my place, but not a public facility. I'm not in the studio business. So I just work on my stuff for my friends or projects that I like and so on. In other words, I don't make any money. I lose money in copious amounts. Now we're back to Jack. And this is in that 2013 interview. So you're doing tour stuff too, the interviewer asks. Yeah. <laughs> Jack answers, yeah. We've always been working together, you know? We did some tour shows like a year ago. Our things pick their place for us. We don't really sit down and pick them. They pick our place for us. Like the Kills make a record, or Queens of the Stone Age make a record, I make a record, and it all falls into place, you know? Like we didn't know we were going to do two Dead Weather records in a row. We didn't have any plan at all, we were just going to record a 7-inch, and it keeps going, and we make two albums worth of material. We try not to tell it what to do, we let it tell us what to do. So, the press took that from Jack, and everywhere reported it as Jack confirming that the Tours were putting out a new album. <laughs> like in NME, the subheader from March 17th, 2014 read, Jack White previously confirmed the band were recording together in 2013. So people interpreted this as their recording. He pretty much flat out says it, but then we get nothing. Huh. The last couple things here. Obviously a bump in the road happened. Something jostled the strings of fate loose. And whatever momentum was building was seemingly gone by the time mid-2014 rolled around. In an interview with Brendan via Billboard on March 16th, 
2014. This is pre-Lazaretto. The raconteurs are definitely on hold, the interviewer says. That's kind of off the table, says Brendan, of the supergroup reuniting. It always felt spontaneous. I like that about it, too. And I think it remains that way. We never planned anything. We never planned a breakup. All of us but one live in the same town. So in the future, it could very well happen or not. But he says it's off the table. So, like, that squashes everything. And then suddenly all the headlines read, Brandon Benson says, no more raconteurs. I found an article from 2011 where Brandon sort of says something similar. And it's from Gigwise. They're doing a showcase of the fact that their raconteurs are coming back. And they talk to Brandon and they say, speaking on the possibility of a new album, Brandon Benson told Billboard, I don't know when the next time we'll all be available to make a record or even talk about it will be. When we founded it, it was whimsical and impulsive and spontaneous and all those words. I think it'll always be that way. And this is in July of 2011, by the way. That's before the reunion shows. They're talking about the reunion shows. Okay, so they're preparing for it. So, yeah, that's consistent. Like, whenever Jack and Brendan talk about it, they say the same things. But they were touring in 2011. And so they were all together. And Jack and Brendan were in the studio working on stuff. And Jack says they're working on stuff. Does he mean the dead weather? Or does he mean just him and LJ? I don't know. But it sounds like all the bands were hanging out together anyway. In March of 2014, NME reports, White previously confirmed that he's working on new solo material, though does not have any idea if and when he will release the follow-up to his debut record, Blunderbuss and is also releasing infrequent singles with the Dead Weather. It was reported recently that White will appear on two songs on Neil Young's next album, which was recorded on the former White Stripe frontman's Third Man Records, and then on April 1st, 2014, Jack announces the album Lazaretto and releases Highball Stepper. Was the interview with Brendan done to play down expectations of a new Rax album? Was it done out of frustration for people continuously asking him about the Rax or was it done to hype his own efforts? Was it just an innocent comment? It's hard to tell. He gets defensive about people only talking about the raconteurs, but he also understands that that's why he's famous. So That is so... So a new album fails to materialize. It's interesting to note that after this 2014 article, Brendan doesn't have anything new to promote until 2017's Half a Boy, Half a Man single, released on Third Man. On March 25th, 2018, an article on Ultimate Classic Rock discussed how Consolers was a surprise rush release, saying those waiting for a third studio album by the Tennessee-based band have continued to bide their time. Although the raconteurs have sporadically and partially reunited, the group haven't yet made another record. On March 10th, 2016, Jack was pictured on the third man's social media with Allison, LJ, and Brendan in an unspecified park somewhere with the caption, What band is this? Um, and that would track with the fact that he was talking about them all going on trips together. <laughs> really, wow, it's, it's it's weird. So that brings us to the bottom line, James. The bottom line is based on all of this context. I believe that the period between 2012 and 2013 would have been the most likely for something like this to have happened if it happened. The racks were still fresh off a reunion tour. Everyone was in town, and Jack and Brendan were even in the studio remixing and polishing a new release from the Consoler Sessions. It's a mystery to me why it didn't happen, but I tend to err on the side of the circumstances just not being right. 
you have Jack doing his solo thing, which was sucking up all his time and attention, and you've got Brendan doing his record label thing as well, and that's a huge task. With those ingredients, you get the possibility of a few little things, but a project, I guess, just wasn't in the cards. And frankly, it's kind of amazing that one didn't materialize after Lazaretto, and instead a new Dead Weather album came out. But again, this is all just chalked up to circumstance, I think. I want to hear these songs. If they exist. If they exist. That brings us to what he was working on with Brendan, we know, which was two tracks that came out on Third Man Mm. uh, in in association with the Vault release, Open Your Eyes and You Made a Fool Out of Me. Open Your Eyes is credited as a co-write between Brendan and Jack, and it was recorded during the Consolers of the Lonely Sessions. Via Brendan's interview with Uproxx, it was originally pitched for the Rackin' Tours, but wound up on his 2009 My Old Familiar Friend release. Ben Swank wrote on The Vault, Jack White said, Open Your Eyes sounds like a hit. Seems like it could have been released as a single, and I can't remember why it didn't make the album. When the feeling goes away, and you're left with nothing, everything you think to say was eventually released on What Kind of World in 2012 mm-hmm. with a different chorus and a different title retitled Here in the Deadlights. In a stale and musty room When you're old and no one cares Underneath fluorescent gloom Only cold and vacant stares All an illusion Other than that, the track is really similar to the Rax version, almost identical in fact. Brendan sings it differently, and the solo version has more gusto. I really love this song on What Kind of World, and it was actually really surprising to me to hear Open Your Eyes, because it's really similar. It's a good song. I don't know. It was a surprise to me that it was originally for the Tours, but a lot of Brendan Benson songs can have that feeling to them. Right. I mean, maybe for the reasons we were just talking about, I mean, maybe a lot of these ideas were kicked around and, and didn't make the light of day, but like... Stuff on You Were Right 
even sounds like it belongs in there. Something like a Garbage Day on My Old Familiar Friend still, to me, can sound like something on there. Or Well, let's play in that space in just a second. But just to cover You Made a Fool Out of Me, this was credited also as a co-write between Brendan and Jack. And this is via jambands.com. This is from Brendan. You Made a Fool Out of Me was one I brought to the Rack and Tours, but it didn't work out. It just didn't sound right. You're not always going to get it right. I brought a lot of songs to the Tours. The song's title was changed to Make instead of Made for Brendan's version that was released on My Old Familiar Friend. I left my happy home I took off down the road I tried to hold my tongue I've never Point out my every mistake And you show me up now So everyone can see You make a fool out of me Via Brendan's interview with Uprox, it was written during the Rack and Tours 2008 album Consoles of the Lonely Sessions. Didn't make the cut, it didn't really fit. And that was, again, the B-side to Open Your Eyes, which was on that Vault Package 12 released in 2012. So interesting stuff, because Jack and Brendan working on these two songs probably early on in 2012, and then you get Brendan just straight up releasing Open Your Eyes as Here in the Deadlights on his What Kind of World album later on. Yeah. Another song, James, that we know Jack and the Tours tried and didn't pursue? and over yeah that's right yeah they mentioned that in a couple of the articles during this press tour i guess important to note ben blackwell says he never heard the racks version <laughs> can't confirm with his ears that it exists okay and jack also never specifies to what album they tried it out on we know it probably uh, we know it could have been on any of them because according to jack it originated during the get behind me satan sessions so all of this is pre-Raconteurs. Uh, Get Behind Me Satan predates the Rack's first album by a year. For all we know, it could have been on the first record. could have been on the second. I tend to think if they were going to be trying new material, this might have been in the mix because we know Jack tried it and didn't pursue it with Jay-Z. Yeah, that's true. That was in 2009. It's possible he took it from Jay-Z and moved it over to the Rack's and they just never continued it. Don't know. 
we know that it's been around since you said 2005 at least so it doesn't seem like it could fit with the racks the way it is now yeah i don't know it's interesting to think about yeah it could go any number of ways uh you could have said like okay so let's say he tried it with the racks on consolers it was fresh in his mind didn't work out brought it to jay-z a year later or the inverse of that is he tried it with jay-z didn't work out it was fresh in his mind and he brought it to brendan three years later i think during our boarding house reach segment i i was able to picture it in my head i think i did mention that you know i could hear brendan doing the the backing like over and over instead of the gospel choir so maybe i don't know it's it's weird it's a weird man uh, I know, I know. Well, let's play this. Let's play this game. Because I went through and went, <laughs> I went through every album from this time frame and picked which ones I thought could have fit a Raconteur's album. Okay. <laughs> so, James, do you want to go first? Yeah, I think the song Rejuvenate Me from You Were Right mm-hmm. has very Rax vibes. From the guitar intro to the chorus could be sung with multiple parts. I think Brendan actually multiplies his own voice in the chorus of that one. I know you could help me make it through this ordeal, but I'm too lazy to work I'm too scared to steal Feel like a joke, a waste of space. Feel like the punchline's on my face Resuscitate me Be the one that can save me with nobody else could save me very raxy i was very close on that one ultimately didn't pick it but i'm glad you did because i was i was really close my first selection from you were right was long-term goal okay Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got that vaguely Western chug-a-lug, you know, with plenty of space for harmony and others to play in that space. Lots of room for soloing, so I thought long-term goal could fit. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I could see Jack Lawrence getting a, a groovy vibe off of that song. Ooh. Yeah, I, I do miss Jack's bass lines on this stuff. Yeah. Off of You Were Right, it's the song Swimming. It's got the kind of... Oh, yeah, that little country acoustic yeah the stones will shout kind of storytelling vibe to it and raconteurs as we know are all about storytelling and uh this has you know a character going through an arc and it's kind of a set in middle america where the raconteurs seem to be going (laughs) you know it's it's got that kind of vibe to me north of shelby town there's a lake uncharted from an Amcar town comes a boy wholehearted All his preparations so exhausting Built endurance makes him right for the crossing And not in winter time cause the lakes are frozen June is opportune, so the date is chosen. 
Take the tripod to the raft for sure filming. My next one was Borrow uh, from My Old Familiar Friend. This was actually a co-write with Andrew Higley, who played on the Raconteurs with Brendan and Mark and Patrick. And Higley did some work with Ben Folds and the Greenhorns as well. here three women mm-hmm. tell me that doesn't have a raconteur's feel to it yeah i mean coulda yeah it's it's also got a stripesy feel to it it's just jack being jack i think but yeah i could see the yeah. racks doing it garbage day i'm still sticking to garbage day ah yes off of uh, my old familiar friend. I like that one. Brendan, around this time frame, or at least post Raconteurs, writes songs the same way he's writing them for the Raconteurs, so a I lot agree. of them sound like they would fit in. You know what that one sounds like to me is late 90s pop rock. Yeah. Like, uh, it to me, that kind of song sounds like something like Everclear or something would have been doing. Like, it, it's, it's almost got like a father of mine sort of structure to it in a way i don't know if i'm really drawing that distinction properly but it has that late 90s kind of pop rock spin to it for me and what also has that kind of spin is feel like taking you home mm. oh i like that one it yeah. feels straight out of the first raconteurs album so mm-hmm. i don't know if it fits in exactly with the time frame uh, after consolers but this one has that piano yeah. that uh i guess it's a synthesizer but they something's not right i'm overcome with fear should have stayed home tonight We've got to get out of here Feel like taking you home Feel like being alone Feel like taking you home Just wanna be left alone Um, I have underestimated from the Greenhorns four-star album a lot of racks feel in the chord progression and phrasing on this. This is that's really more of a like I said, like this, that, obviously those Greenhorns songs were never in contention, but it's got a rack and toursy kind of vibe to it. Since it's all becoming numb, my 
There's a lot of uh, different band members, I think, contributing to Four Star that are yeah. kind of making it turn out differently. I thought you could have seen Power of My Love on a Tours album. That would be the cover that Jack released. On oh, B-side right, 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 right. To Lazaretto. Yeah. The only other rack on it is Dean Fertitta. <laughs> but um, I thought you could have seen that one on there. definitely see that so that's what i had for this as my fantasy racks list but honestly just go listen to what kind of world yeah 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 (laughs) or listen listen to any brendan solo album post 2009 and you will get a raconteur's album and so that's gonna bring us the end here i only have one last thing to add and it has it's a complete non sequitur but via brendan's epiphone interview the guy says your record sounds terrific very open very easy to listen to Brendan says, oh, thank you. But I hear all kinds of mistakes and I think, oh, God, I should have done this or that. I listen to old Paul McCartney records and they're dark as hell and I love it. Oh, well, that's <laughs> fun. Ring the Beetle Bell. We got to bring the Beetle Bell back. He mentions wings like a disgusting amount in these interviews. And I read a lot of Brendan Benson interviews. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, I just want to mention Jack Lawrence was also doing a project with Karen O and the Kids in 2009 which did the motion picture for where the wild things are what the entire motion picture hey i know where the wild things are they're over there (laughs) they're to the left thank you thank you jack lawrence yeah we know they're (laughs) over there (laughs) thank you for coming with me on that very special very spooky very mysterious lost album chronicles journey about the raconteurs this had Dean Fertitta on it too. <laughs> the, uh, the this band Carano and the Kids it consists of Jack Lawrence, Dean Fertitta, and they're doing <laughs> for where the wild things are. <laughs> so James, that brings us to our third person this week. That brings us to our third person. We'd like to welcome our third woman this week. Ariel Kabinsky. Hello. Ariel, you're back. I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) She's here. She's feeling it. Welcome to the show, Ariel, again. What am I feeling? Uh, You're feeling it, the show. It. Cousin it. I think this is like the fifth time you've been. This is like you're like in the five timers club. I don't know. There's only like you and Callie and that's it. Mike. No. 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 <laughs> uh, Ariel, you are here I'm to here. talk about your. T- <laughs> <laughs> and round and round we go. I missed You're- round and round. Where we stop? Definitely not on the show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're here because you just saw Jack White for the second time, A, ever, and B, on this Boarding House Reach tour. And 
This time, it was in Cooperstown, New York, with, I'm told, a real scumbag. He's talking about me. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) To the listeners out there, she was perplexed. (laughs) I was really trying to figure that out. Who was the scumbag? scumbag? I'm the scumbag. We all agree, I'm the scumbag. I I disagree. (laughs) Well. Yeah, so we went went to see Jack at his latest show in Cooperstown, New York. Mm -hmm. We saw him at the brewery Amagang, I believe it's pronounced. Yeah. We've been pronouncing it Amagang. But we were corrected. We were corrected. I think the proper pronunciation is Amagang. I mean, both sound like Pokemon. Amanite, he's spiral Pokemon. I prefer Amadeus, and no one can stop me. Uh Uh-huh. James bought the tickets. Long ago, <laughs> he did not bring the tickets. <laughs> okay, well let's let's do a little lead up here. So we we decided to spend the weekend in Cooperstown because it was uh-huh. a little far away, not very, yeah. like three and a half hours. We and, thought it uh-huh. was about six hours, but it was actually a pretty easy ride. It was three hours. We vastly overestimated how many hours. Now Cooperstown, New York. Do you think Jack chose that particular city because of the Baseball Hall of Fame? Maybe, perhaps. It might have been part of it. I'm I don't sh- know. I don't know the man. Is it a big town? It's a small town, but a big venue. It's a little town, but it's almost entirely revolves around baseball. Yes. So they've built this whole economy around baseball. So there's this cute little downtown area, and it's all a bunch of baseball shops. And yeah. Huh. Shoeless and, Joe's uh, little sundries and Joe DiMaggio's hot dogs and, you know. No, that's cool. All sorts. Every store was baseball themed. Yeah. I mean, there were some other ones, of course, but it was very big baseball oriented and you could tell that a lot of people come for baseball the other thing they do their thing but in cooperstown they do a lot of the little league baseball tournaments they have the championships there yeah Yeah, i'm looking at some of these shop names here we have uh, looks like babe ruth's donuts lou gehrig's disease (laughs) there's a bunch of these there's a bunch Paul did it all for that one joke, but he only had one precursor. I, I was going to actually look some up, and then I was like, I am not investing yeah, in what I think is really a losing bet. Well, you know who else had the losing bet? It was Shoeless Joe, and we all remember what he did. He took off his shoes and said, no more shall I wear uh-huh. shoes on the field, and um, he died shortly after. Yeah, of yeah, tetanus, yeah, I, I believe. Tetanus yeah. of the eyes. And it's when they do stuff like this that I start not knowing what they're talking about. We, to be fair, we don't know what we're talking <laughs> no. about. We're some of in this, a dream. Some of this is a bit. The rest is just offensive nonsense. Yes. The sushi <laughs> chefs are hitting the fish with baseball bats. And the mechanics are just installing baseballs into the headlights instead of actual lights. It causes a lot of accidents, but man, they love their baseball down there. Ariel is giving you a look right now that says, I love you unconditionally, <laughs> <That> says, but stop. <laughs> that says, I spent I... a weekend with these same jokes over and over and over again. Yes, I didn't know that when you were making all these jokes, it was actually just you coming up with material for when we would record later. Well, I regret that tangent that I kind of caused you you drove up to cooperstown yes, we spent yeah. the we spent the weekend i'm to understand you met up with a very special guest while you were out there <laughs> we got to meet kelly yeah hey uh we got to meet our third person in spirit always kelly durga we she's had, super fun yeah she's really nice really fun we got to have dinner and it was a jolly good time 
That sounds great. We had a good weekend overall. It was a long weekend because it was Memorial Weekend, so it was kind of a good weekend away. So let's um, talk about the venue here, because you said it's a large venue in a small town. Would you say it was, like, arena-sized? How would you... It is... Well, it was outside of town, so it wasn't, like, right in the town. Mm-hmm. It's it's in Milford. It's, it's an outdoor venue that is... It's a bunch of fields. It's basically hmm. a big old farm field. Yeah, it's basically oh, okay. a big field in front of a big brewery. Yeah. So you I see, see the what you are see those silos. Called? Yeah, the silos. And they they project their brewery Amagang and Amagang in uh, Amadeus in lights <laughs> on there and really neat backdrop. But yeah, it fits like five thousand people. So it was like a festival. It was type. like a miniature Woodstock. Yeah, yeah, microcosm. One could okay. Say. That's cool. So how do they cap the admittance, or is there no cap, or is it like... It must fit a lot of people if it's just a big open field, I assume. Yeah, Yeah. I I mean, they had a set amount of tickets, obviously, but as far as we could see, it was full. It sounds like a mini festival kind of thing. Yeah, and all the parking was in the grass, and then you just go through, and and you could stand up by the stage. Then there were people in the back that had brought, like, those little folding chair things like you would bring to a child's soccer game. Yeah, and it had a campground, so people could camp there right after the show, and people did. That's cool. It was all porter potties Yeah. A lot of porter potties A lot of people that didn't lock the doors on their porter potties Yeah, we walked in on a couple people, and I wish that was (laughs) By we, he means me, multiple times. (laughs) We both did once. You did too? No, no, we both... You opened the porter potty, and we were both standing there, and there was just a guy, and he, he... looked shocked and we looked shocked and Ariel just went, you know there's a lock and then slammed the door. It's the most impenetrable lock on the market today. It has only one design flaw. The door must be closed! And then later it happened again with some girl and I was like, there's a lock. Yeah. People didn't understand how lock mechanisms seemed to work there. <laughs> you left the lock open or the door open? The door. Um, Maybe they just had too much to drink it's and didn't possible. care. Speaking of, of fumbles and uh, mistakes that happened, <laughs> I, as Ariel said, forgot our tickets, which mm-hmm. was a paper ticket only event. Yeah. And I forgot both of them in Allentown. And normally, I'm pretty good. I'm a good. Good luck, not, James. No offense, James. I'm the more organized one, but I do Fine a lot of that. No, I just I usually will make sure we have everything and all that stuff. But the thought never even crossed my mind that we would need these paper tickets. Or I I didn't even remember he had gotten paper tickets. It was so long ago. I you know I just assume you have everything on your phone. Yeah, right. I've never needed a paper ticket. Ticket fly. I've, I've been recently to places that have said you must bring the paper ticket, and then they're like, "Oh no, you just turn the brightness up," and and not and not everyone like on your phone to scan it. And I guess not every not everyone knows how to do that. I don't know what the deal is, but I've been to venues recently where they that was the prerequisite, and they turned out to be liars. Uh, this was a prerequisite, and they were not liars. They definitely oh. needed the paper tickets, and we definitely didn't have them. And Ticketfly could not help me for the life of me because we got the advanced presale tickets, um, ah. and, and so they said, "Well, there's like thousands of people who bought these tickets, and none of them are assigned names to us." So we had a confirmation number and a receipt number from yeah. his order w- through the vault, but he ordered them through 
the vault presale. And I guess the vault ordered 500 tickets in that order. So uh-huh. when they would look up our confirmation number or receipt, it was just 500 tickets. So it was not helpful to Ticketfly or to the people at the Will Call Will Call booth. Yeah, so Ticketfly directed us to the box office there, and we're like, well, I hope that works. So we drove over there. I'm panicking out of my mind. Yeah, he was Uh very panicked. And Um, I was like, it'll be fine. And in my head, I'm like, I don't actually know if it's going to be fine, but I'm just going to tell him it's going to be fine. We asked a very nice scalper who was trying to offer us tickets where the Will Call was, and he directed us there, and he said, good luck. And we said, Thanks, scalper man. And um, yeah, <laughs> uh, we went up to the box office. Come on, you gotta let us in. Not without tickets. We have tickets. We just don't have them with us. Well, that's a problem. They said, "Well, your receipt number is part of this five hundred group of five hundred. We can't print your tickets because you know we'd be possibly barring somebody else from entry because the it's one scan per code. Um, so." By the grace of God, we uh, some two people had uh, both offered extra tickets that they had to Will Call for people who might want to get into the show. You guys ready? Yeah, yeah. And they were like, really? And they were like, here are these two tickets. One was printed out from like the computer, the computer, and one was an actual ticket. And they're like, here are these two tickets. You can go in. We know you bought the tickets. We know you're not trying to scam us. Don't do it again. Wow. <laughs> you almost drove all the way up there to be turned away. That is a I mean, nightmare worst case, scenario. Worst case, we would have, you know, talked to that nice scalper. Yeah, the nice scalper man was, was still offering two tickets. So. No, he was offering one, but oh. there had to have been another one somewhere. You know? Yeah, we could have found That's something. That's a big but, venue. But yeah, holy cow. <laughs> yeah, well that is harrowing, and I'm glad you survived and got in. Now, was there an opener for the show? Lily May was yeah. the was Oh, the Lily opener. May. Yes. Uh, yeah. We were we got there just as she was doing her sound check, so we, we can we could post a little bit of that. I took a little bit of video of the sound check before they took our nice. phone. So nice. we saw Lily May in Brooklyn, Jack in Brooklyn, and then Lily May and Jack in Cooperstown. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, that's she, awesome. She was really great. We made some concert friends while we were waiting for her. The, there was oh, a, super nice people. Yeah, there were a lot of uh, vendors, so we were able to get food, and uh, we bought Ariel bought me a hat, a Jack White hat. Oh, awesome. And, uh, we were about 20 feet away from the stage, I'd say. Maybe, that's great. Maybe 30. We were pretty close for yeah. a stadium that, or for a field that big. Can I just uh-huh. do a little interruption here? Yes. Paul, just so you know, yeah. the baseball cap, the Third Man Records baseball cap I bought James, uh-huh. is yeah. wool. He has assured me he will not put it in the dryer. <laughs> Sorry, that was just I, uh, a side note for Paul. I, had a I, don't think, I don't think we're ever going to live that one down, James. I don't think so. Callie now knows about it. Um, <laughs> anywho, uh, so we were pretty close to the stage. Uh, when Lily came on, the crowd was pretty, like, really nicely supportive, which I was kind of, like, really happy about and was, like, really getting into the music. And The but, people by the porter potties really liked the music, too. Yes. The the toilet men, uh, as we like to call them. <laughs> <laughs> Big fans. It was a long line. I was just in line socializing with people. We were, like, talking about the music. They were enjoying Lily playing. 
It was mm-hmm. it was good. Even all the way in the back, way in the back of the fields, you could hear it, and mm-hmm. people were enjoying it. But they weren't as into it as the people by the stage because they were sort of meandering, getting food and mm. chilling out. But I heard some people say like, "Oh, I remember her from the album. I I, I heard that she had an album. I think I'm gonna pick it up." And so it seemed like really positive yeah. response around us and <laughs> so lily may played uh she, she played were there any surprises in her set or was it mainly just the album uh she did a really cool fiddle set uh at, at the, the end, end. Yeah. yeah that was cool yeah purely instrumental and and frank was doing uh her brother frank was doing some really cool stuff on the guitar and That's it was cool. a really solo driven song at the end there she seemed really nervous throughout seeing that many people um, yeah at one point she said at this point i would usually tell a joke or something but i can't think of one so Here's the next song. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, she's played before crowds that size before, but not by herself. So right. I guess, and and maybe she has actually by herself too, but maybe not on this. I know the we'll venues we saw her at were very small. Lily Mae played and then Jack comes on. Now, was it the audio visual show we've seen from the uh from the other venues did was there the the video component it there was not it was really stripped down just to lights it was just a light show basically okay. which is fine because it was pouring rain and that that was our ah it wasn't pouring it was it was on and off raining the whole time i mean it was muddy it's a little slow out there rain last night oh this baby loves the slop loves it eats it up Eats the slop, born the slop. His father was a mutter. His father was a mutter. His mother was a mutter. His mother was a mutter. What did I just say? There were, like, spurts of rain and then sections where it wasn't raining, like, for brief periods of time, but for the most part, I would say it was light rain the whole time. Right, which, mm-hmm. that was enough synesthesia for me. Uh, I didn't need I didn't right. need an audio-visual program. Okay. Yeah, it was very stripped down, just, just the lights... He came on, he teased Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground briefly, but didn't go into Dead Leaves. In fact, he didn't play Dead Leaves at all during this show. Really? He, yeah, which is rare for him. And uh, he opened with over and over and over again. You know what I liked about the show? That he said, God bless you, a lot. Did he? Yeah, he was... Yeah, and he would say, can I get an amen? And he would say Amen. And I was like, this is great! Great stuff! <laughs> That's awesome. As I told Ariel, a preacher on a pulpit, he was uh, really getting people into it, and he was actually shouting, like, how you feeling? Can I... You feeling good? Can I get an amen? I didn't hear you. Can I get an amen? And he's like, oh, oh I have you great. in my pocket. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, so, uh, after over and over and over, he went into I Think I Smell a Rat, which was really cool. Yeah, really, really good song, song choice. I ha- I haven't heard that since the Stripes, and then uh, into Corporation, then into When I Hear My Name. That's a cool one. Uh, yes, was nice to hear a uh, an OG Stripes title, yeah. and then into Why Walk a Dog, which he introduced in a in a funny way. <laughs> what um, did he say? He said, uh, "Who? This next song is called Who Let the Dogs In? Who Let the Dogs Out? Why do we even not need to walk the dogs anyway?" And then he, he proceeded to go into one. And everybody started laughing. So then we get Missing Pieces, which is cool, and Hotel Yorba, which is a favorite, I know. Yeah, it was a Hotel cool, Yorba is always fun. It was a good version of Hotel Yorba, too. He's playing a different version this, this tour, which I like. This this was a very mm-hmm. blunderbuss-heavy show. He, he yeah. did uh, Blunderbuss Next, which is the electric version of that, which was really good. Yeah. And uh, went into Catch Out Blues, which he really just like lingered on the original notes though like uh he would play like the 
and then he would just like go up to Daru, uh, not Daru, man, go up to Carla and uh, <laughs> smash on her cymbal, and then he went to like every member of the band. It was really drawn out the intro to, yeah. to Catch Out Blues. I was really excited. To it's getting, that. it's getting to the point where he doesn't go a show without Catch L these days, which is great. I love that song to death. I like it too, and I used to love it, but it's kind of it's kind of reaching a saturation point for me in a weird way the same as and i'm looking here and it looks like he didn't play it for you but uh the same way i'm slowly turning into you is reaching a saturation point for me i really love that song but i just i've heard it one too many times yeah i I was glad he didn't go into that you know it the last the worst song was heavy uh icky thump and this one was (laughs) heavy blunderbuss speaking of which we go into trash tongue talker next yeah, which is a surprise. That's a good one. Holy hell, this song was so good because he got up on the piano in the back. Like he didn't get on the keys. He got on like the piano. There was a full piano there and sat down, played half of Trash Tongue Talker, which was really jaunty and good, and then had Quincy get up on the piano after him like seamlessly and he got onto the electronic drum kit which was set up right next door and just started uh-huh. bashing away at it. And you couldn't even hear him singing anymore, but it was because the drumming was so loud, but it was such a cool moment. Nice. No, I don't remember that because I couldn't see it because I was too short. So from there we moved to, uh, he did Catfish Blues uh, or Catfish as setlist.com is called, which was really cool. Very bluesy tune. I wish I was a catfish swimming in so we went to we're gonna be friends which uh was nice and uh it was very kid friendly neil and quincy were playing like really playful keys on it and it was it was a, an adorable version of it i think we discussed it a little bit uh the last time ariel was on but it's, mm-hmm. it reminds me a lot more of the april march stuff yeah then he moved to love interruption which was a crowd pleaser then to broken boy soldier which was a lot tighter than the last time he played it at the warsaw this whole show was a lot tighter yeah the everything yeah which i had a feeling would be the case and i'm glad to hear that that is the case. Yeah, and his, his stage banter is a lot more loose and fun and seems yeah. more like the Jack White we knew. Now, which mind shaft did you get? Okay, so this was a new one. I mean, he's improvising them every time he goes up on stage. So this, he did this weird thing where he covered his eyes with his hand and he had his one hand out and he was, like, poking the story <laughs> out as he was saying it. And it was something about going uh, when he was a kid in Detroit, he went down to the river... But he wasn't supposed to go down to the river. He wasn't allowed to go down to the river by himself, but he did it anyway. And he went. He talked about how he went down 4th Street and then to some other street, and he was on the other side of Canada, and you could see Canada from where he was. And then he saw an old man who was fishing for, I thought he said rock clams. Callie Durgis thinks he said rock bass. I don't mm-hmm. know. It was really hard to hear him because the music was very loud. Yeah. Yeah, it was hard to make out the actual words he was saying. I was 
kind of going on my toes just trying to see what he was doing with his hands. <laughs> yeah. But I liked with, with that one and a couple of the other songs, too, he was just very poetic the way mm. he performed them. Like, there were parts of the show where it felt a little bit more like a poetry reading. Or, yeah. You know, which obviously songs are poetry. But it was just the way they, it almost felt like reading a poem in that little section and everybody was just quiet trying to hear what he was saying mm-hmm. um yeah i think it's 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 an interesting insight because what you're responding to i think is probably what's keeping it fresh for him is is uh making those kinds of the the banter and the and the song variations personalized for each show and have it feel a little bit more like a spontaneous poetry reading kind of thing which uh, yeah, i think a lot of artists do like bruce springsteen i know does that and so I think you're responding to probably what's keeping Jack engaged in this whole thing. Because it's yeah. a long tour, you know, and you need a little variation in there. Yeah. And it was definitely stream of consciousness. Like, he didn't write this down beforehand. Um, yeah. Which is, I think, why he had his hand over his eyes, because he was trying not to be distracted. But right, he, right. he kept shifting the focus, and eventually it landed on this fisherman, who I think was a bum, who either had fish or clams or some kind of river food, and was offered offered child Jack some uh-huh. food and Jack said I don't want that I don't even know what that is and the guy proceeded to put some on the grill and eat it and Jack then took some and ate it and he said it was good and then after he said all that he like paused for a minute and I think he like said to himself like I think that's all I've got in me or I think that's the best I'm gonna do and then, like <laughs> proceeded to shout can you hear me now and i wonder if these mind shafts things are just him recalling a different memory every time and that's i think so uh yeah it seems that which is a cool that's a cool little thing yeah i think he's he's going over it in his head and and he's like i said it's stream of consciousness so he's just rattling off what's coming to his head first in the memory i think and then Mm -hmm. it it wasn't a story there was no beginning middle and end it was just Yeah. yeah 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 a thing that happened so then you go from there to Hypocritical Kiss, which is another deep cut from Blunderbuss. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's good to hear him doing. That's awesome. Yeah, it was it was a good version of it. I'm not the biggest Blunderbuss fan, so but uh, I was I was happy to hear some of these cuts. Yeah, um, fan of all of them. Well, that's true. <laughs> then he went to Connected by Love, which uh, was a crowd pleaser and. I was readily engaging in that one, as was the whole crowd. Everybody. Yeah, everybody. Was, Everybody yeah. was singing and excited. And when he got to the line, I think Callie mentioned this on her write-up as well, but uh, he's when he got to the line, um, let it wash down with the rain, uh, the entire crowd started cheering because <laughs> it, was, it was raining outside. So That's great. Uh, yeah, it was a good version of that. I, it's solid, like way better than I had heard him do it this tour uh, mm-hmm. so far. So that was nice to hear. And then the shocker of all shockers... Yeah, he came back on stage to the encore. Um, I, we tried to do a, a, a couple chants. We didn't get any started. Yeah. Somebody got just shouting Jack White started, so that was a thing. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he came back on stage. The band came on, uh, started playing, and Jack ran on stage and grabbed the microphone violently, knocking down all three of the other micro- or the other two microphones and the stand with it. The roadies had to run and scramble and get it, and he started bouncing around the stage <laughs> and uh, started singing "Shaking All Over." Which yeah. So, I, and and this is funny because I didn't realize it was originally written and performed by 
somebody named Johnny Kidd and the Pirates, uh, but it's been covered a bajillion times, uh, I guess most notably first by the Guess Who, and then just the Who covered it, but we've also got covers from the Beach Boys and David Bowie and Cliff Richard and all these random Iggy Pop, Hmm. and then you get where Jack White fans would know it from, which is where I knew it from, I didn't even realize it was from anywhere else, was from Wanda Jackson's album, The Party Ain't Over, which Jack put out on Third Man, and they play Shaking All Over a lot during that press tour, and Jack Jack is, in, is involved in those performances. And here's the best thing, just looking up Shaking All Over a little bit here, and we'll do a Wanda Jackson episode eventually, do you realize that was at the end of Bridesmaids, the Wanda Jackson version? No, I didn't. That's um, crazy, I had no idea! Anyway. Jack White songs littered throughout a lot of things. We watched Power Rangers, and uh, Five on the Five was on that. Like, <laughs> And Ariel's like, is this why you put it on? And I'm like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> But there's a rag and bone for you. Yeah. So he played F- Shaking All Over. I love that song. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a really cool version. And I, again, I'm saying this about everything, but he was really energized and, and bouncing around on stage for that. He seemed more comfortable. Yes. Uh, At, he was also wearing more comfortable clothes. That's true. And he had he had mentioned earlier, uh, actually, in the beginning of the uh, of the in the actual first set. He had mentioned that he had played baseball in Cooperstown with his Warstick crew, the ones that he played in, in Deep Ellum, played with in Deep Ellum, against the the previous night there was a Baseball Hall of Fame induction. Yeah. Uh, and he played against... And they wouldn't let us in the museum. Yeah, we tried to get in. <laughs> uh, and, and they were like, nah, you can't come. Well, There's this thing. And I was like, what? We did actually get in. The doors were locked and somebody came out and we went in thinking, oh, this is fine. And some guy's <laughs> like, did you have tickets? And we're like tickets to the museum i'm like i need to buy them (laughs) and he's like this is a private event um anyway uh so those inductees played the game against jack white and his crew and ben jenkins uh in cooperstown that afternoon and he was actually given a plaque from the cooperstown baseball hall of fame with his face on it you know the it's the same as all the plaques of all the players in the Hall of Fame, and it had, mm-hmm. it said Jack White, and he was super uh, thrilled about that. Anyway, he had brought that up on stage, and, and he was grinning a lot about that, and he said, you know, I, I don't want to say who won, but it, it's not about who wins and who loses, but you can tell but from my face who won, and then <laughs> after a little while, he said, I don't want to say anything, but we... Oh, man, what did he, did he say? He say it's about kicking the shit out of the Yeah, he said it's not about winning. It's about kicking the shit out of the other team. <laughs> That's right. That's awesome. I saw the plaque online today. Somebody posted some pictures of it, and he looked he looked pleased as punch to have that thing. So, friend of the show, Ben Jenkins, a founder of Warstick and co-owner along with Jack White, was there. Now, let, uh, let's skip ahead a couple songs. It looks like he plays Battle Cry here. When did... Well, I heard there was something that happened, James. Yes, let's let's actually jump back a couple songs back to where we were at, because sooner than you think, he played Icky Thump, amazing version of Icky Thump, as always, and then he played Steady As She Goes, which was, he got the crowd all into it, and actually during Steady As She Goes, he signaled to the people off stage to get some people on stage. I thought he was trying to bring out Lily Mae for the next song. Yeah. Um, but no... His whole baseball team came, like, piled on stage. Whoa, that's and, awesome. Including Ben Jenkins and Ben's wife. 
and uh, they were all dancing, and he was playing Steady as She Goes with them on stage. And uh, that's amazing. He, uh, after like a minute or two, he like tried to push them back with both his hands. So he was like, you know, like corralling them back off stage. Yeah, yeah. And he was he was laughing it up. But yeah, it was during Steady as She Goes that Ben was on stage, and I was like, I have his phone number in my phone but my it's all locked up in a yonder pouch you know it's yeah <laughs> that's awesome that's yeah. really cool i was so happy ben got that experience and uh yeah he he deserved it you know ben does a lot of a lot of hard work and it's i'm glad he got that recognition yeah it was definitely a celebratory for their win they were really excited and, and jazzed to win yeah um, well that's an amazing moment yeah, and uh, right after that, and in my head, I'm like, "Is that Ben? That's Ben!" Yeah, yeah. And I knew what the, it was about that these people were on the stage. Yes, <laughs> it was really impressive. I feel like I'm learning things <laughs> <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs> it, yeah, it looks like there's not a lot of other surprises here. Uh, same boy you've always known. That sounds great. Oh, uh, yeah, he he got. Oh, the, that was yeah. another really poetic one too. Yeah. Yes, yeah. the whole band to stop for a minute Carla got off her drums everybody stopped and he picked up his the Wolfgang the spotlight went down on him and he started playing same boy you've always known uh, solo just him in with a spotlight he started welling up again to that one uh, it mm-hmm. was really really good an electric version sans drums it was very very nice yeah yeah, yeah. and did he keep the Wolfgang out for Carolina drama he didn't. He switched over to the uh, the Gretsch, the um, Veronica Lake. Yeah, Veronica. It? That's it. And yeah. he started playing Carolina Drama. He forgot the words again, but he still. It was tighter than last time. He gets flustered with some of the words, but he had the crowd doing the uh, the la 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 las again, which yeah. was fun. That's great. Um, and, and then then, uh, then he got yeah. out the Seven Nation guitar. He got out. The, Did he switch guitars a lot? I yeah. didn't notice. Yeah, he switched almost every song. I couldn't really. I could only really see his head unless I was bouncing. Really. <laughs> <laughs> um, we had a couple talls. Yeah, yeah I'm a little short, um, but not as short as that girl that was like a few rows in front. Oh yeah. There's one girl in front of us that at one point went on somebody's shoulders. And, you know, when that happens, it's like they're having fun, but then part of you is like, really? Now I can't see? But at the end of the show, I saw this girl. She must have been 4'7", like, and I felt yeah. terrible for her. They, they only did it for, like, one song at <laughs> Yeah, a time. no, it was, was only it. one song. So it was good. You know, I was glad she got to see for a little bit of the show. Yeah. Well, that's uh, good. Yeah. And uh, It seven. sounds like a hell of a show. It sounds yeah. like you... I mean, this is a great set list here. Well, Seven Nation ended with him getting the whole crowd to sing with him and then he stopped he finished the song and then fireworks started going up like a full-fledged fireworks show it was like a a huge fireworks show like fourth of july like an actual display this wasn't just some rando in a backyard (laughs) above the silos that had oma gang like on them they were like multicolored silos they had the lights projected on them and the fireworks going above them and that's Jack amazing took a bow uh, yeah he took a bow and he he got all the band together and they were bouncing up and down and they seemed really happy it was a really good way to end the show and uh yeah it was it was really good and it ended uh you know we we were watching the fireworks everybody started leaving but we got to catch up with Callie who was stage side uh so we went up and, and saw her 
and mm. um, we were talking to her. She's so upset I'm about this. I'm very upset about Is this. He, I'm livid about this. Somebody's very happy. Okay, so Jack White and Dominic Davis both threw their picks into the audience. Uh-huh. I was talking to Callie and Scarlett, uh, who we also got to meet from the Thinking Persons Jack White group, and some guy ran over, pushed me out of the way, pushed another person out of the way and picked something up that was right next to my foot. Like, I was stepping on it, and it was friggin' one of the picks. I was Uh. stepping on one of the picks, and this dude pushed me out of the way. Oh, man. That's terrible. But but there was no pick! (laughs) I I did not pick! There was no pick! I gotta go. No! No pick! You didn't notice. I didn't notice, but it was just... And you're exaggerating. You weren't pushed that I far. was. No, I was pushed out of the way. <laughs> the untrained eye, I can fully understand how you got that impression. What looked like pushing, what looked like knocking down, was a safety precaution. Well, that aside, it sounds like an awesome show, and I wish I was there to join you. Sadly, I couldn't be, but we really appreciate you coming on the show, Ariel, to uh, talk to us about it today. And now you've seen Jack White two times, and, um, you know, that means you have to see him at least one other time, or else the spirit won't be freed from the chest. Well, I always go see Jack when I have tickets. (laughs) <laughs> and she still won't let go of the fact that Mike didn't pick her up the tickets that one time. Ariel, thank you so much for joining us. James, what do you say we get back to the show? Let's get back to it. Paul, what a journey that was. Yeah, and we've got some shout-outs to give, James. Oh, I'd love to get to them. Oh, yeah. We had a lot of people commenting on that Tom Potter post. Yes, we did. We'd like to thank some new people who are talking to us and commenting on our page, such as Ryan Brown, Joel McDowell, Kevin Monroe, and Catherine Lightning Lanzoni. Thank you all for for commenting on our page. Yeah. Including Joel McDowell, who apparently is the uncle of Mr. Tom Potter, Thomas Jackson Potter. Hey, we know him. We do know him. We'd also like to thank some people who are liking the page, like Juliana Gondra and Joshua Skog, as well as Amy Weimer-Cook and Nate Kahn. Thank you both. We respect and love you both. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, thank you for interacting with us on social media. You knew people. We've also got some regular listeners, people who are with us day in and day out, and that would include the Brett 3 killed my Garski. We're making that one stick. I do like it. We have There's No Right Opinion for You Here. Go away, but stay, please. We have Brian Walter Be Nicer to Me. We have Brendan and Smith. We've got Yvette Wilkins. She's Wilkin on Sunshine. We've got S.A. Franco. We don't know you. We have David Po... Oh, James is still looking at where the wild things are credits on Discogs. We have Eric Andrew Dotson over here. We've got LOL 2.0. Lots of laughs there. We've got Amy Hart, the heart of the operation, the red, red rain prosper. Our third woman in spirit every week, Kelly Durga, as well as Eileen. We see you over there, Corsano. Mm. Andre Ice Cold Lyman. My oh, me, mm. it's me, oh, mine. Jeremy Riles keeping us on the rails. Kate McCoy, the bones of the operation. And Ben, the beer man, Blues Carnes. Thank you all. Fantastic. I found the quote I was looking for. Jack Lawrence says, he says, they're calling it a psycho opera. 
It's visual <laughs> and musical, and I'm still not certain what's all going on. It sounds pretty interesting. Right. Sorry. Thank you all. And if you'd like to be one of these people that we list here, uh, you can go on to Facebook on facebook.com slash third men. You can find us on Twitter at third men cast Tumblr, third men com. our WordPress page where we have our show and occasional old show notes, the third men.wordpress.com as well as our Gmail. If you want to get in touch with us to tell us how wrong we are about something or about how you're a famous person and you're mad at me for making fun of them. Uh, that would be thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to find our show on Pippa, that's where we host the show. Uh, they are fantastic and wonderful people, and all y'all should be supporting Pippa because they've gotten us some really great things uh, recently. So you can find our show there. If you search The Third Men, if you Google it, that Pippa will pop up. Pippa hosts the show, and they're really wonderful. They have gotten us not only avenues to other podcatchers, but their analytics really help us see who is listening to the shows. And so we were able to see that this past week we had just a record high week for the podcast. So, Including you, Stephen Garbo. We saw exactly who was listening. No, we can't see who's <laughs> listening. And then you could also search us on YouTube where I do some visualizers and sketches and fun things for us there. And please rate, review, and subscribe as always it helps us a lot and thank you to the folks who have reviewed and uh, rated us recently i think we just had a couple ratings recently uh, so thank you guys and please do that yeah and uh thank you to sam kubert and tom valenti for the help in the recording of our theme song with the third man as well as Susanna roundtree for the lovely intro and outro of our program also for our third woman this week ariel kaminsky that was lovely and james until next week i think I will be looking for a mysterious home. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I will be looking for a home two years in the future when I'm planning on writing a new album, but maybe I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) See you next time. Bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at Third Mencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. Do my does my butt look big in these pants? Sorry, I'm on Brendan's website and there's just, <laughs> he's just selling headphones. I don't there, there's no link to Brendan. They're just <laughs> headphones. <laughs> Four star, yeah. This? Four Stars is a very good album. It's fine. (laughs) Do you want some different headphones? I have some that are sparkly and green. I'm good, thanks. They look like rhinestones. I can be a rhinestone podcaster.
didn't. I gave them smoky provolone cheese, and uh, they've been having explosive. Say no more, please. Please, explosive God. diarrhea. Um, he said more. <laughs> it's like cat diarrhea. So anyway. Um. Yeah. We talk Mike, to lots. We talk to lots of people. We're we're very personable fellows. <laughs> I yeah. know you're personable fellows. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. Um, I only live with James. Don't don't include all that. We'll we'll we'll, we'll, we'll include, only include all, we'll only include all of it. The easy part. Actually, getting somebody to listen to a podcast is the single hardest thing on God's green earth. I, no one knows how to do it. No one does it well. Look, people want to share podcasts with me all the time, and I'm like, no. Yeah, right, right. So what trap I've been trying someone to in a car. What we need to do is have a, a big rally to trap people in cars uh-huh. and drive them to the Grand Canyon and just play them all the podcasts and then listen to a live one about me at the big hole and that'll be great could be could do that broy pennsylvania are you okay there's a shelf there ariel just hit her head on the corner of a shelf we have an injury no it's podcast injury we're not fine. insured. <laughs> I just dropped this thing. I was picking it up. You were trying to make the puzzle, and part e- of it everyone fell. at home listening, uh, Ariel injured her head prior to being on our show. We have no liability. <laughs> she was just on a three-hour delay of right. the screaming of the owl. Right. It's a rare disorder that you don't need to know anything about. Post-traumatic scream disease. <laughs> I'm sorry you hurt your head, Ariel, before the show started. Um, now, uh... you know what the story is? I got wet today. That's the story. We got on a boat. And I got wet. That's the story. The end. I got to smell some chlorine. You know what? It would be a greater offense if they took out the chlorine. <laughs> it, like, whatever so what brine we- smell they have in there. James is gone. What happened? Uh, I think there's a bug. Well, what happened was when I whacked my head on the shelf over there, it disturbed the bug. Mm-hmm. And now it's out and about. It'll be fine. Just don't breathe. Well, our, and guest, then from is, there our you... guest has already tuned out, so I can imagine how everybody <laughs> else out there I'm is I'm sorry, feeling. it's really hot in here. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. You are all invited to join us on a magical mystery trip through the lives of the Beatles every week on the Yesterday and Today podcast. 
This show details the chronological journey of the world's most famous band using music, interviews, and rarities collected since the debut of John, Paul, George, and Ringo onto the world stage. We're a fan-made production, and we're available now on iTunes and wherever you find your podcasts. So sit back, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Hey everyone, Paul and James here to tell you about one of the best music podcasts online today. It's called Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. Yeah, as longtime listeners of our show know, Take It Away and its hosts, Ryan Brady and Chris Mercer, are the authority on all things Paul McCartney, Wings, and the Beatles. Their five-star rated podcast walks you through every single Paul McCartney release from 1970 to present day. That's every song on every album, including singles, b-sides, bootlegs, and you will most likely hear songs you've never heard before, which is part of the fun of the show. You'll also hear old favorites from new perspectives, all lovingly placed in the context of McCartney's career and the musical sounds of their era. Yeah, and don't miss the amazing interview with Denny Lane, co-founder of Wings and McCartney's songwriting collaborator, as well as a slew of other special guest appearances that give some really cool insight into the music that spans the last 50 years. So if you're a McCartney fan, you've found your new favorite show, because I know I have. Seriously, I never miss an episode and neither should you that's take it away the complete paul mccartney archive podcast available for download now wherever you find podcasts check it out now